it can get very tedious sitting in a room with someone for hours and days and like years sometimes on end calling people and asking for money. So what I always encourage candidates to do is to go and think back to their why, right? Like, why are they running for office? Why is it that they want to do this? That is how people generally get through the incredibly tough situations. Hello, this is the Great Battlefield Podcast. I'm Nathaniel G. Perlman. A great political battle is being fought right now between progressives and the forces of reaction on the other side. This show is about the political entrepreneurs and other progressive leaders who are finding new or improved ways to fight. One thing I follow in this podcast is progressive political technology entrepreneurship, often interviewing leaders of new or established enterprises in that space. Today, though, my guests are Nick Tyson and Antonia Koch, who've been working inside NGP Van to add a new component to an existing political campaign software. It's different to build software product within a relatively large company, and their launch of a new NGP call time app for fundraising gave me a good chance to explore how that's happening and what lessons are learned. Nick is product manager and an NGP employee who knows the customer well through a series of jobs in the company and Antonia was national finance manager for high-profile Democratic campaigns before she joined NGP Van in her new role as director of fundraising campaigns. We had a good talk. You should listen. So after a quick word from our sponsor, my interview with Antonia Koch and Nick Tyson of NGP Van. This episode is brought to you by Graphicacy. Graphicacy is an analytic design firm that can help you advance the mission of your organization using your own real data and information. They are 21st century visual communicators who create interactive graphics, motion graphics, and data visualizations. You can find Graphicacy at graphicacy.com. That is G-R-A-P-H-I-C-A-C-Y.com. With Graphicacy's help, you can visualize a better world. Hi, folks. I uh, wonder if I could get you each to introduce yourselves and give me a quick biography. Yeah, why don't I go first? Because mine is shorter and somewhat less interesting. Um, my name's Nick Tyson. I'm currently a product director for NGP at NGP Van. I grew up in Wisconsin, uh, son of a restaurant owner, and went to UW-Madison. Then I bounced around several campaigns in Wisconsin. Feingold and Doyle would be the campaigns that you've heard of after living in like six cities in Wisconsin in in two years, decided it was time to leave Wisconsin, moved to DC, and uh, started working in the support department at NGP before it was even NGP Van in early 2007, I think. In those campaigns that you mentioned, Doyle and Feingold, what were your roles in those campaigns? Uh, Feingold was a extended internship that I did while I was in college still. So that's where I learned my compliance knowledge. And Feingold's compliance shop is probably one of the best places you could have learned that back at the time. Uh, he did write the laws. After that, I was a finance assistant slash call time manager on a congressional race that didn't make it very far. We lost in the primary. So then I went to the coordinated campaign, 
where they promptly decided I wasn't really a field organizer. So they moved me to the voter protection department for the rest of that campaign. (laughs) You've been now for almost a decade and a half at NGP slash NGP Van, which is up there among the folks. Tell me about the sequence of positions. You said you started in support, but what what was kind of your path within the company for? Yeah, I was in support for, I think, two years, maybe three, which I really liked. It is a relatively entry-level position for the most part, and a good friend of mine is now the director there, so there wasn't really much opportunity for me to advance my career in that department. So I moved uh, laterally to sales, which I didn't enjoy so much. I really liked the helping people part of working at NGP. So sales gave me some opportunities for that. But when there was an opportunity to move into the product department, uh, that really resonated with me and was a lot more interesting and a lot more fun. I got to talk about people's problems rather than telling them what I had to bring to the table. Well, tell me about the product department at the software company. What do you do as a product manager? Yeah. So like I said, it's about solving people's problems. So we spend a lot of time listening to people and trying to understand how they want to fundraise. And I think we're going to get into it later in this podcast that uh, some of that has changed recently and that has made it a really interesting year. Fundraising in quarantine without the in-person events and, and things like that has really thrown a lot of people a curveball. We've got a lot of people experimenting. So listening to what challenges they have that are new and different and then working with our design team and our support team and everybody else to come up with the best solution we we think possible. Who runs the whole product department? Tuvin Vong. Are there multiple product managers with different subsets of the product? How does that yes. arrange? There are multiple product directors and vice presidents of various sub-departments. Uh, we work closely together because most of you listeners know that NGP Van is now part of uh, the Every Action Group, and they that side of the business focuses on nonprofit fundraising a lot, which has also been interesting because when we talk about political fundraising and nonprofit fundraising, the similarities and the differences are sometimes surprising. And so Michelle Schefter is the vice president. She is the vice president of the Every Action Fundraising. It's been really interesting to learn from each other when we'll say like, hey, this feature that we're working on, we think would be really exciting for your clients as well. And half the time we're like, yeah, actually, I never thought of that. But the other half we're like, nope, we don't care. (laughs) When you talk about nonprofit and political fundraising for an hour, it sounds really similar. And then in hour two, you get some real differences. What is under your purview as product manager? What parts of the software, Nick, do you deal with? Yeah, it's the NGP proper. There's the digital tools, which I deal with sometimes, but that's um, that's usually handled by by other product directors. I know about it and have input, but I am mostly about the traditional fundraising, the call time fundraising, and the compliance. So filing this disclosure reports with the FEC and the state boards of election. Okay. Well, that makes a lot of sense. And I'm not sure how much people are aware, but awful lot of political campaigning is the candidate reaching out to their network and beyond to raise money, especially early in the campaign. And the processes for doing that are important to running a decent campaign. So 
Antonia, would you mind introducing yourself and giving me a quick biography? Of course. Um, my name is Antonia Koch. I am the Director of Fundraising Campaigns at NGP Van. It is a brand new position, but a lot of fun. I was born in New Haven, Connecticut, and then grew up in New Orleans, Louisiana, um, until Hurricane Katrina happened, actually. Went to Maine for a year, back to New Orleans for a year, lived in Knoxville, Tennessee, and then from where there went to college in Pennsylvania. Um, and my parents moved to New York City. And I bounced around doing campaigns for a couple of cycles. I did some work on in Brooklyn, on Long Island. In the 16 cycle, I was the finance director for a red to blue congressional in upstate New York. And then after that, I was actually now Senator John Ossoff's finance director in the Georgia 6 special election to replace um, former Secretary Price. And then after that, I was Doug Jones's national finance director in the Alabama Senate special election. And from there, moved to Ohio, where I was Richard Cordray's finance director in the Ohio gubernatorial race. Um, and last cycle, the 20 cycle, I was actually at Emily's list. And I was the Southern Federal and Gubernatorial Campaign Finance Advisor, which basically means I helped campaigns in the South, which was a very broad definition. It was Iowa and everything south of that. And then Kansas East, very broad definition of the South. And I helped campaign there. And now I'm at NGP Van. Well, I would imagine that if you were national fundraiser for some of those very prominent campaigns, you've learned quite a bit about political fundraising. I, I've learned a thing or two over the years. Tell me a little bit about those experiences, like that Ossoff campaign. It was the second House campaign. I was there in the primary as well as the general which is, you know, Georgia has a runoff system. And actually, I know you talked to Joné Wartell. I did. Recently, yeah. We were on Ossoff together. She's a very dear friend. Yeah. Tell me about Ossoff. What was it like to work for him? John Ossoff is an amazing person to work for. The person that you see on, you know, TV and in hearings and, and, and stuff like that is actually the genuine person that he is. Um, he's an incredibly kind, bright human being who trusts that he hires the best people to do the job and he empowers them to do their jobs. Working for John was truly a, a once-in-a-lifetime amazing experience. It's notoriously difficult to get candidates to stick to their call time. A lot of them don't want to, who would, just sit there and call people and ask them for money, <laughs> you know, and kind of, in certain cases, almost have their statistics about how well they're doing right in front of them. With Ossoff and Jones and Cordray, can you compare a little bit what they were like in a call time environment? I can't compare too much. I think every call time situation is its own specific thing. And every candidate is different. But I think, you know, for me, whenever I'm doing call time with a candidate, one thing that I always like to bring them back to, because, you know, it can get very tedious sitting in a room with someone for hours and days and like, years sometimes on end calling people and asking for money. So what I always encourage candidates to do is to go and think back to their why, right? Like, why are they running for office? Why is it that they want to do this? That is how people generally get through the incredibly tough situations. Yeah. So Doug Jones also seems like a really admirable fellow. Is that the impression you got? Oh, Doug Jones is an absolutely incredible man. He is a kind-hearted man that wants to do the right thing and is not afraid to fight for it. You saw that on the campaign trail. You saw that when he was a senator. And, you know, whatever Doug does next, 
whoever he's working for, whether it's the people of Alabama or, you know, someone else, they will be incredibly lucky. When you guys were both doing this call time work for the various campaigns you've mentioned, were you using the NGP system to do that? Yes, I was using, well, I was doing this, like you said, I've been at NGP for nearly 15 years now. So I was using NGP5, sometimes known as Titania. This was the first fully online version of NGP. So we were using the old reams of paper every month, uh, printed out call sheets and bookshelves full of binders of different, essentially, lists. That came out of the software. Yes, they came out of the software originally. The days when I was doing my job well, the results got put back into NGP, but that was less than 100%. How about you, uh, Antonio? Nick knows my motto, and everyone that I've ever worked with knows my motto, where if it's not an NGP, it didn't happen. (laughs) So there's that. But no, I definitely, I've used NGP throughout my career. It's absolutely been a thing that I've come back to every single time. It's a staple in your finance operation. It's how you run pretty much everything. And, you know, similar to Nick, I also would have to print call sheets and call sheets out of NGP and put them all in binders and run your program from that way. So what I understand is that there's been a new addition to the software to help manage this process in a new and improved way. Nick, can you tell me about what motivated that? Yeah. So a few things. What Nathaniel is referring to is the new Call Time mobile app that Uh, is an NGP-driven app where candidates can easily make their calls and interact directly with their phone and not have to worry about the complexities of NGP or anything getting lost. And what motivated that was a couple things. Uh, In the last cycle to cycle and a half, we've seen a shift of people being willing to break with traditional call time and do a paperless version of call time. NGP, the CRM, has some options for that, but we've really seen... Uh, especially younger candidates who are comfortable with their phone, wanted to have an option to not have to be tethered to their office or their call time manager. Um, Another thing that really accelerated it, of course, is the pandemic where we wanted to give more solutions for non-co-located call time. I think some of your listeners know that the old version was call time manager and caller, usually the candidate, sit down face-to-face and go over this old Uh, fashion call sheet, discuss it, and then make the call. But now we've had to have options for non-co-located call time for obvious reasons, and that has caused a lot of people to shake up their tried-and-true traditional call time programs. Since you're new, Antonia, at what point did you get involved in this innovation? I unofficially um, saw some pieces of it before it went live when I was still in my previous job. I'm always happy to give feedback. Nick can tell you all about that. (laughs) Much to his chagrin, I'm always happy to give feedback. Um, I came in pretty much, I would say, in kind of the ending stages as we were just kind of getting things off the ground and pushing it out to users. Tell me, Nick, about the process for uh, how you add a new piece of software to the CRM these days. What are the steps to figure out what you want it to be and to design it and to build it and to test it? That could be a podcast in and of itself. We start with a hypothesis, really. Like, there is a problem. Somebody is having trouble doing call time efficiently. Like, that was the really broad problem. Then you really need to narrow that down to something that is testable, like you say. 
you're a software innovator. You created NGP and created a a piece of software that made its own market almost. So that's uh, something that we we definitely look up to. It's really about first defining a problem, defining who's having that problem, and then coming up with hypotheses to put in front of them. And it's really iterate on an idea, put it in front of Antonia before she came on board with NGP. We would often uh, run new ideas by her and we'd sometimes get a, what are you doing? And sometimes get, yeah, I like that. And you try and uh, get people's input. The art to it a little bit is people don't always know what how to ask for what they need to get them to focus on what they're struggling with and not what they think the solution is so that you can be more creative and solve the problem, not spoon feed them a solution that they um, that they have dictated directly. I can confirm that. <laughs> There's a lot of people that participate in that from, uh, we mentioned Tuvin, uh, will always give input. We have a great design team. Um, so there's a, a whole committee. And as much as anything, my role is to organize the various people with more talent than me to uh, to put together a good idea. You're always very modest. When I first put together something for fundraising call sheets, I myself talked to the various clients and came to realize that people had different formats of call sheets that they wanted and sort of set it up so there was a library that you, they could draw from with many people having their own call sheet. It was simpler then. I, I was the programmer and the product manager and I guess the salesman and support team for it in the very early days. But how many people would you say touched this part of the new code base from design to engineering to testing, et cetera? Yeah. And actually, in this case, we did things somewhat differently. Usually we would bring in several different departments, like I said, design team, the product team, um, and obviously the engineering team fairly early. But for this call time app, we brought in our sales team, our marketing team, and our support team in the planning stages rather than telling them what was happening at the end. So in this project, we have a standing group of seven people that meet on a regular basis to discuss where we are and where we're going. We're not done. This new app is far from its finished version, and we've planned several months out of what we're going to do next. On top of that, we have our uh, engineering department is divided into teams where they all have cute names. Most of them are colors, but uh, the team that we work with most closely is uh, called Team Funk, as in function little software joke. Um, but that's a team of four people, and we added a fifth person to that team temporarily. So we are talking about, before you even get into management and our supervisors, at least 12, 13 people. It sounds like running the the product around that is, is fairly complicated just to get it from start to finish. What kind of feedback have you gotten now that you've actually released it to uh, users. So a lot of people have been incredibly excited that there is this like newer, faster system that people can use. They can use it on the go. If a candidate is like sitting in the car and has an extra few minutes, they can just go ahead and make a couple calls from there. Um, But I can tell you for sure, the majority of the feedback has been incredibly positive. When you get feedback that isn't positive, Mm -hmm. sometimes that could be more useful. Yeah. 
It can be. And that's how we learn. That is absolutely how we learn. And that's how we, you know, Nick kind of talked about the changes that are coming and the improvements and what we're adding and what we're taking away and stuff like that to the app. And questions from people is how we learn. And that's how we make changes and move forward. And that's one of the things that I try and say at the beginning of every one of these feedback sessions is, first of all, I don't have feelings to hurt. Don't hold back. I want to know what you truly think. Um, so that's, that is where I learned the most. That's how Nick got me to talk is he said he doesn't have feelings and he wants to know everything. And I was like, fine, if you say so. And here we are. <laughs> well, I do think that there's a bit of an art to getting people to give you real feedback. I always found that one of the most fulfilling things about building software was the revision that made somebody happy. I loved it when you could do it quickly at what pace are you able to make this better? Probably not as quickly as when you were the one-man shop. Unfortunately, uh, with a larger company, it does have more oversight and churn. And the cooperation of if we're releasing a feature, is it going to interact well with what another team has in development? So that's actually another challenge that we that we face as we grow. But for the call time app in particular and NGP's overall call time approach, we are likely going to be adding an improvement or two every week for the foreseeable future. We're past like the big reveal and the big release, and now we're into our long backlog of hypothetical things or feedback that we've gotten or improvements that we've known would be helpful but aren't necessary for what we refer to as the MVP or minimum viable product. The philosophy really was to start with it as simple as possible, and we've gotten a lot of uh, good feedback and adoption from people that are doing call time for the first time and learning a whole new system. We're going to be adding more complexity to really start helping these people that have the very complicated call sheets. One of the things that sometimes you have to take into account when you're building software is the competitive environment. And there have been a few folks out there who have built other call time related applications for political fundraising. To what extent are you aware of those and do they influence how you build? They do, both what they do, what our other people in the uh, space do well and what they don't. We hear feedback on both. Uh, some people are a little shy about talking about what would be, in some cases, competitors, in some cases, alternatives. I know you had, at least on one of your podcasts, there's a lot of feedback and critiques from them, and we try to not repeat their mistakes, but we do listen to the reasons that they have gotten some traction in the market and they are adding value to the campaigns, and that definitely informs our decision-making. Antonio, when you were out there for Emily's List or in your campaign roles, what did you hear about the pre-new update NGP call time and people's happiness or or unhappiness with it. You mean with uh, NGP not having an app? Well, not having a mobile part. Yeah, right? not having the yeah. mobile part. I mean, yeah. the mobile part, I think, is is an absolute game changer when it comes to how we think about fundraising and how we think about, you know, call time. Not just candidate call time, but also it's now easier to send calls to, like, you know, a chief of staff, a campaign manager, someone on your kitchen cabinet. It's easier to get more people involved in your fundraising, which is always a good thing. 
Um, but look, a lot of people were looking at other competitors because there was a void in the space. And this is a thing that people will always want to make easier and to make less painful to just have, you know, an easier process of putting calls in front of your candidate and an easier process for just getting the dollars in. Are there other gaps that you guys recognize about this part of the political campaign fundraising setup? We have more or less declared this the year of call time. So that is uh, both the app and the in, in NGP experience for call time. It is not something that we have innovated with. And you mentioned that there are some uh, firms that have innovated recently, but that is our primary focus for the uh, for the next few months, at least. We haven't planned out the whole year yet, but major things that we're going to do, I mentioned the uh, additional data points and additional information that we're adding to the app in the relatively near future. But the next thing after that is to integrate with a voice over IP calling system to open up all sorts of options to have multiple callers or uh, one of the things that uh, really caught on last cycle that I found interesting was the success of no ring voicemails. Uh, some people call it slide dial. That's uh, something that that we want to be able to support going forward. So that's uh, probably our next really exciting integration. If the call time part of the application was something that lent itself to creating a mobile part, and there also is minivan that's like canvassing that's a mobile part. Are there other pieces of the CRM? that ought to be or are in the process of being taken into a mobile uh, platform? Yes. The answer is that it's not that we're going to have more mobile platforms. It's that uh, the long-term plans for the call time app to be usable for uh, somebody that's doing just like event management or event check-in or essentially a contact lookup uh, where they can check what somebody's status is in NGP. So that is a direction we're going. We're probably not adding additional mobile apps, but we are going to expand our existing app beyond just call time. Since you would have the ability to measure people's call time, you have the data on how they are executing it. Like I assume you even have times of calls and things like that. I don't know to what degree you store it, but do you aggregate that and do anything to help people improve their fundraising practices based on the kind of information you have from being used widely across the democratic political campaign space? We actually do not publicly expose the time of calls yet. That is something that uh, I'm glad you brought up uh, was one of the early feedback tidbits that we got. It should be pretty easy to add and something that we are going to add in the future. But that was one of the ones that when we rolled this out, uh, that was mentioned immediately. And we were like, yes, absolutely. That makes sense. And so that is, again, in the long list of things we want to do to improve the app. But we, for the most part, don't coach people on what statistics they need to keep track of. We do give them um, the ability to pull the, the statistics that are most commonly used out of NGP. But unless somebody comes to us and they'll come to Antonia more often than me and says, help, I need to know how to quantify the success of my call time program, uh, we don't proactively have uh, a lot of outreach in that department. Although a very important part of call time is measuring not just how much money comes in, that's the bottom line, but there's a lot of things that inform that, like how, how many calls you're getting to in an hour or in a day, 
uh, how many connects you're getting is going to point to how good your research is. And all that information is calculable and exportable from NGP. Antonio, you know, with all the experience you have in fundraising and now kind of being on the inside the software side, do you have advice that you would give to someone who would take like that position in a campaign of being their lead fundraiser who was running call time? What would you tell them about how to set up an operation and how to incorporate this kind of technology into it? Oh, boy, that is a great question and a very big question and a little different for everyone. It depends on the candidate. It depends on what their staffing needs are. It depends on what you're running for. It depends on a lot of factors there. But I would say broadly, I mean, you would have to get NGP. I also think you need to be incredibly organized up front. Organization and creating a process for your call time is really your friend. And it's how you figure out, you know, how you're going to manage the behemoth that is call time and how you're going to get those dollars in. So I would say to anyone who wants to be a call time manager or who wants to, you know, go out and do the thing that is campaign finance, that you should be incredibly organized. You should also reach out for help. There are a ton of resources out there for folks. And I think the best you know, staffers are the ones that ask for help when they need it and don't think that they know everything. So, you know, your state party can help you. The DLCC, DAGA, Emily's List, DTRIP, DS, DGA, everyone is out there for help. And people are always, you know, down to, to be as helpful as possible. Well, one key part of it is who do you call? The standard thing is for the candidate to bring into the software the lists of people they went to college with, the people at their firm, their law the firm. personal the, circle. You know, like different circles of their contacts. And then finding some priority on who it makes sense to call first and, and how much you want to ask them. There's also some folks out there who sell data, fundraising lists. What's your position on the acquisition of, of lists of people to call? I have a lot of thoughts about this. With the acquisition of lists of people to call, I think you want to make sure that you're staying within the bounds of the law and making sure that you're not breaking any laws is an incredibly important thing. I know there's also an FEC ruling happening today that I can let Nick talk about because he wrote a five-paragraph thing about it yesterday, so he's going to know a lot more about it than I'm going to know. The law that you're referring to is the one that restricts candidates from using FEC data for fundraising, even though it's a, co a common occurrence, and there are even firms selling that data. Yes. And I would say just to make sure that you're within the bounds of the law, FEC jail is real jail. So you want to make sure that you're not breaking any laws on that. I also think that the best prospecting in terms of finding new donors, the best prospecting is going through your circles of benefit and trying to figure out people from there and networking it out. Instead of going about it in the cold calling way, it's easier when you're prospecting if you can find some relationship the candidate has with the donors. Uh, Nick, what, what's happening at the FEC? So... Forgive me, I'm not a lawyer, so if I get some of these details wrong, I apologize. But the FEC is facing, the commissioners are facing a a recommendation from the lawyers that work at the FEC in a, for a response to an advisory opinion asking if they can use FEC data in order to enhance their essentially scoring system for 
whether or not somebody is going to give to a nonprofit organization. The company involved who requested this is not using FEC data. It's not like the Supreme Court where you have to break the law to figure out if you uh, could have gotten away with it. The FEC will actually give you an advisory opinion before you challenge them, before you make a change. So this company asked, would it be okay if we have this score and we use the FEC data to be yet another small criteria that we put into that score? And in the nonprofit world, FEC data is actually surprisingly influential. People who uh, give to uh, federal campaigns often give to nonprofits. That research is fairly new, and they're trying to take advantage of it. The FEC's legal team basically said, no, no way, can't do that. But the FEC's legal team has said that before, and every time it's gone to the commissioners, as far as I know, it has deadlocked. And what happens when the commission deadlocks, and it's six people, three Democrats, and three Republicans. So when they deadlock, it means there's no change and no enforcement action taken. So basically, we've been kind of in this gray area for years of what exactly is permissible to do with the FEC data when it comes to scoring or more broadly fundraising. I think I asked for an opinion back in 2005. You did. It got deadlocked. Yep. I went back and looked at it in, in prep for this. <laughs> <laughs> it's unfortunate. I would paraphrase that a little bit as saying it is unfortunate that, regula- that that regulatory body chooses to be useless. They have fairly strong enforcement powers. This uh, one that we're talking about now would be punishable by a $5,000 fine per incident. Well, it's just the Republicans always voting to not actually use their power that's causing the problem. Yes. And the Senate confirming people that don't use their power. What else should people know about the NGP and call time that you guys are working on? NGP is really, it's the thread that holds your entire finance operation on a campaign together. Whether that's, you know, you want to do events, you want to process contributions, you want to have your compliance in one place, you want to be able to do call time, right? Like everything is under one roof and that roof is NGP. If you were going to uh, wave a magic wand and have uh, an NGP-9 show up, what would be your big wish list? No NGP-9 would be my big wish list. <laughs> no no new things uh, would be my big wish list. I would say that having um, NGP-8 and making tweaks to that because, um, you know, change is hard. I think having NGP-8 and making tweaks to NGP-8 is the way to go, whether that's, you know, doing upgrades to the call time list feature and making it more intuitive for folks to use, or whether it's making the call time app itself for candidates have more information and data points available. I think those are kind of my big points and my wish list as we move forward. Yeah, I think that would be my my magic wand. I have... I think two things to add to that. One is in the last year or so, we've actually added quite a few features to NGP, but we, I didn't do a good enough job getting the word out on a lot of them, our Zoom integration, our Google Sheets integration. BCC to notes, the phone number. To notes, yep. I am admittedly not a marketer. We do have an expert in our group now that that has started helping, but there's a lot to learn about NGP-8, and we're not going to call it NGP-9, but there's enough features that it could be a whole other upgrade that people haven't discovered or that we haven't talked about enough. So thank you for the chance to, to say that to your audience, at least. 
The second thing on my wish list would be that we could learn from what you do first, what we think you're going to do second. NGP is a huge platform. It's obviously built on the original Van platform, so it's got all of those features available, plus all of the NGP features we've added. So helping people get from, I went to the call time list, so the next thing I need to do is probably do a report on how my call time sessions went, doing more to help uh, with those use cases. One of the things that's changed about the political tech ecosystem for progressives over the last four or five years, particularly, is a lot of smaller companies with newer technologies of various kinds, a lot of which are outside of the NGP core set of functions, but are additional that could be useful to the same clients. And I know that you guys have done some integration with them. Is there anything in the core, you know, in the fundraising and compliance area where there's external players that are useful? One thing that NGP does not have is a accounting system. Part of that is because FEC accounting and real accounting have some friction with each other. Let's put it that way. In the future of fundraising, uh, the next place we would look to integrate is probably uh, with some sort of an accounting system rather than trying to rebuild it entirely. Every action overall just uh, acquired Mobilize. I think um, Max was on here talking about that uh, some some weeks ago. Um, so that's another uh, interesting expansion of another very useful tool in the in the market that uh, that is outside of uh, NGP van proper. Nick, what have you learned about building software broadly from this experience as product manager? Well, I have a degree in political science and history, so everything I know about it I've learned from this experience. Success in software building is being able to plan ahead but not be bogged down in your plan. So think about what you want the software to do a year from now. But when you get new information, when there's a global pandemic, drop what you're doing and do a Zoom integration. But then be ready to pivot back to your long-term plans. So have long-term and short-term goals. That seems actually like good advice for software building or entrepreneurship or life. Yeah, I was going to say that's a good life lesson. (laughs) Be flexible generally. (laughs) My role is not building software, my role is helping people know what software they should build. And, you know, the product role has become uh, a really sought after role now within software companies. It wasn't as well defined in the past. It didn't have the same set. It, It kind of was tangled up with project management. It's become kind of a place that people want to go because you have ownership over what comes out and how users who you care about actually do their jobs. Yeah. And it's been an interesting evolution. I think when you started, the idea of a product specialist wasn't really a thing that most software companies did. Um, If it was, I didn't know about it. (laughs) But it's also something interesting. Uh, Some of the engineers that started uh, working for you before even I started that are still around, and yes, there are several are very uh, interesting to work with because they have more product minds than newer developers. People who've graduated in the last five or 10 years have learned to write software knowing that the requirements were going to come from outside. The people that 
were making software before there were these product departments actually give really good input on, you know, I'll give a requirement and they'll, they will more often say, are you sure you really want me to do that kind of thing? Um, and often they're right. When we were fewer than 10 people, programmers like Craig and Sandy would take some calls. They're much closer to the client and they've been around so that they, they know, they know more than someone in a bigger company who has a much more focused role. Yes. And they're incredibly valuable still. And that's one of their major, major uh, things that they bring to the table. Both of them are still with us. Antonio, tell me about your role. Like, what is the intention for <laughs> you in this role? Uh, uh, what I mean that question. in the best possible way. Like, <laughs> it's fine. My first, my first week on the job, actually, everyone was like, so what do you do? do exactly? And I was like, great question. I mean, look, I think what I bring to the table is that I've been a finance director for a couple of cycles on some big races. I've seen a lot of small races happen. One of my main goals has been um, trying to, I guess, bridge the gap between NGP and the products and the consumers and the finance directors and fundraisers, candidate services, whatever, everyone um, on the ground. And, you know, whether that's like the education training piece of making sure that people understand how to actually utilize NGP's call time functions, or if it's as Nick kind of talked about earlier, me giving in some input on the product side and talking about what you know, what would be more helpful? What would be less helpful? What direction is nice or not nice? It's kind of bridging those two things in a big way. Are you part of the product team? Where are you located? Um, on the organizing chart, I report to actually Lou. <laughs> I report to Lou Levine. Who's sort of general manager for this part of the company? Yes, Lou is yeah. the general manager for fundraising and compliance. I report to Lou, but I work very closely I spend, Nick actually told me this earlier, that we spend about three hours every day on Zoom together. And I think he's right. We do that. Um, I work very closely with product, customer service, and sales. So how is this company as a place to work these days? I love it. I mean, I've never been to the office because of the pandemic. And starting a new job in a pandemic, I definitely underestimated that, that transition. I mean, I've had a great time. I think it's been a very welcoming place. Everyone is very nice. Everyone is very bright. And the thing that I actually really enjoy is that people want to innovate and find creative solutions to problems that, you know, finance directors are having in this space. That's been shown in how fastly we've created a call time app and how we're making upgrades and tweaks and stuff like that and listening to people and being creative problem solvers to get the job done. Nick, why, why have you stuck around for 14 plus years? <laughs> <laughs> I hate applying for jobs. No, every time I've uh, thought about moving on seriously, a new challenge was presented. I told you I was in the sales department and I really didn't like it and was looking at my options to leave when I was approached by the then director of product and said, hey, why don't you come help us? And I said, what is product? Um, and after a crash course, I was given a lot of freedom and still am given a lot of freedom to make my opinions known and some significant amount of decisions independently and be accountable for my actions, not accountable for the winds that blow outside of the, of our, of our company or anything like that. So I feel like I love the people I've been always treated fairly and always challenged. How much does the company still pay attention to 
elections and have a rooting interest in what happens out there? That varies a lot person to person. I actually don't follow as many elections as you might think. I'm obviously following the Wisconsin Senate very closely because everybody working on those races is somebody that I started with uh, in my days before NGP. So I know them all very well. But Antonia, of course, follows, I think, every race in the country. Um, <laughs> I follow a lot of races in the country. I follow and there a lot are of degrees them. in between. So also many of us came off of campaigns. So there's everybody that has like their their group of people that they worked with in the campaign world. And you've had people talking about the, referring to it as the trenches on this podcast before. So uh, they stay, those networks stay pretty close. Antonio, what else do you observe about NGP Van as a company and its place in the democratic campaign technology space? I think NGP has a very large place um, in the Democratic, particularly fundraising sphere. Um, It's the thing that everyone needs in order to get the job done, really. There's room to grow and there's room to learn. And we're definitely open to that. You know, we talk to everyone. We have every conversation. I'm excited to see what's to come as we not only grow, but also improve what we currently have. Well, it's really nice to get the chance to talk to you guys today. This part of the giant NGP tech base is near and dear to me. And so when I heard there was an upgrade in it, I thought, let's do a little bit about it and just learn. It gives me a chance to learn what's happening inside the company and how you're interacting with the space. And so I I really appreciate the chance to share. Is there a question that I should have asked about this that I failed to? We talked a little bit about the way call time has evolved, and I'm going to ask the question and then struggle to answer it. All the things that have changed in uh, call time and fundraising in general in the last year due to, uh, due to circumstances beyond everybody's control, what do we think is going to stay and what do we think is going to revert to the previous um, process? So what is the new normal and what is going to go away when we can be in person again? Antonia, do you want to try and answer that so I'm not immediately answering my own question? I think that mobile call time is totally here to stay. Um, I think we're going to probably get to a space where candidates, you know, if they have a couple of minutes that are, you know, in between events or, you know, when they're at home and they don't have staff with them. I think we're going to get to a space where candidates are doing more call time by themselves And I think we're just going to have to keep very close eyes on that to make sure that, you know, staff doesn't miss anything. I think that's going to stay. I secretly hope that some Zoom events do stay just because for candidates on, you know, the time schedule, the time front, you can schedule so many more fundraisers in one evening than we ever could before. And also you don't have to, you know, get the red eye out to California, do events, then get another red eye back to the wherever you're coming from. Um, So I hope Zoom events stay. I think we are going to go back to in-person, but I also hope that, you know, folks would be a little, a little more okay with Zoom events moving forward. On the call time front though. Yeah. I mean, I think we're just going to get more lean and more mobile. And I think we're going to be able to not have giant binders everywhere we go. I don't think candidates are ever going back to the office. I think they're going to go to events in person again, but I don't think there's going to be a call time room for new candidates uh, in the future. I think they're going to be out in the field almost all the time and doing call time 
when and where they have space and not spending the 20 minutes driving back to the office. You don't think they're going to want to hang out with the Antonias of the world? I'm very delightful. That's all I have to say. That's You have to be <laughs> to be a call time person, right? You Although do. I've met some who, who, who I, I'm surprised to learn they are delightful by them having had that role successfully. I think for every candidate, there is a call time manager. <laughs> But also, I disagree with you, Nick. I think I think candidates are going to go back to the office because also, especially in the early days of a campaign, there are no events. There are, isn't really anything that you're doing. You're in a room dialing for dollars. To respond to Antonio about the Zoom events is we have heard from people that are, um, at least to some extent, for uh, for some major consulting firms, Zoom events will be at least part of the norm going forward. The other thing I'm curious about, what's if it's going to change, is the pattern of when people are answering the phone. I'm sure some of your listeners have done this research where it used to be that you could get people in the office during the day, but if all you had was a home number, you had to do evening call time. And now people answer their phone and it's all day, every hour is roughly equal in how often you can get a hold of somebody. And I'm wondering if that's going to revert to the norm or not. It probably will go back quite a bit. Well, guys, I appreciate much the hour that I've got to spend with you. Of course. Uh, anything else you want to say? Just thank you. Yeah, thank you for having us. This was a lot of fun. It's it's an honor to meet the Nathaniel G. Perlman. It's an honor. <laughs> uh, the honor is all mine. I <laughs> And I look forward to it in person sometime. We'll have to get together. One day. That was Antonia Koch and Nick Tyson. They're at ngpvan.com. This is Nathaniel G. Perlman with the Great Battlefield Podcast. You can find us at greatbattlefield.com or by searching for Great Battlefield in places where podcasts are found.